There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the latest headlines and share brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. We're also joined this morning by Peter Duthie, Chief Executive of the SEC and The Hydro, and Stuart Patrick, Chief Exec of Glasgow's Chamber of Commerce. Don't forget, if you ever miss an episode, simply search for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. And if you have a question for Tom and Willie, please email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Tom, congratulations on a fantastic turnout for Kiltwalk last Sunday and a phenomenal amount of money raised for charities again. Yeah, I, I must have been the happiest man in Scotland. Maybe maybe it was Willie after he went to Ross County after the game. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but yeah, the sun was shining on us. Um, people were smiling and um, it was a fantastic day. And it's six years, it was six years to the day since we took over the Kilt Walk. And I just got to thank everybody at the Kilt Walk, led by Paul Cooney. Amazing team there. All our sponsors, the Royal Bank of Scotland, Big Eddie, Arnold Clark, Johnson, Carmichael, Lidl, come on this time, Willie. You met the guys there. And um, since we've taken over, so it's six years, 110,000 walkers, 21 million raised by the walkers, 11 million from the Hunter Foundation, and for almost 3,000 different Scottish charities. So it might just be the most important thing we ever do in the Hunter Foundation. So, happy man. It's absolutely fantastic. But while Kilwalk raised lots of pounds, the pound itself has taken a bit of a hammering, Willie, against the US dollar. Dropped below the $130 mark, the lowest level in 18 months. How much of an impact does that have on UK businesses? Well, quite an impact. You obviously have got a business in the States myself, so obviously you're looking at, you know, the exchange rate every single day because it makes such a difference. But, you know, we've been talking about this now for weeks and weeks and weeks, and unfortunately I think it's going to dip even further, you know, and I see. And the next thing, obviously Europe's a wee bit upside down, It'll be a bit more stable now that the French elections are over, uh, and obviously there's no... Um, Great surprise there, I think, when Macron returning to office. But I think that um, globally at the moment, currency, the the fluctuation in currency over the next six months is going to be more volatile than it's been for maybe for a decade. And I think it's going to be hard to factor. And I listen to the experts again on the TV in the morning on Bloomberg, and they can't make their mind up where it's going. I think they're looking at Europe with a lot of interest to see what's going to happen there. But I think, as we've said, there's a there's some trying times coming around the corner and it's obviously going to have effect on currency. Yeah, it, it just goes to show that the dollar is the global currency of business. It's not the pound, it's certainly not the euro, it's not the renminbi either. But um, I agree with Willie, I think it's got more to fall against um, 
the pound. It's about 127 when I checked recently. Um, but that's because traders think that US interest rates are going up. And yes, we all believe that. And UK interest rates are, are going up. But um, there's always winners and losers, Donald. So if you're exporting from the UK or Scotland, so the whiskey, it helps the exporters. But if you're importing the goods, they're more expensive. So winners and losers. But it just goes to show the strength of America. The dollar is still the world's currency. Well, one person certainly not short of dollars or two is Elon <laughs> Musk, who's just uh, purchased Twitter for $44 billion. Willie, is that good business and good news for free speech? Um, well, according <laughs> to Elon Musk, it is. But um, I have an idea. I think Come I know on, what's Willie. behind all of this. This is Elon Musk's declaration that he will be running for president. Yay! 100%. And are you running for mayor, Willie? That's well, what we want yeah, to know. Yeah. That's more important. That's yeah. more important to us this yeah. morning. Yes, well, um, <laughs> I, I will reveal that. I'm thinking of buying Twitcher, whatever that is. <laughs> but no, I, I think that, uh, well, i tell you what, we could do a lot worse than Elon Musk running, running <laughs> the States. Uh, very, very clever guy. Um, funny, I, I seen a clip from him on the TV this morning and... He was kind of acting the clown at one of the launches, and for one minute he looked a bit like Donald Trump. I hate to say it, but for no, one minute he looked no. like Donald Trump. But it's interesting. I just wonder if Elon Musk is watching a show on the TV called Billions, right? Because the key character is doing yes. exactly what he is doing here. In, Mike in, Prince. Mike Prince. Mike, Mike Prince for president. You heard it here. Uh, as long as he's a Democrat. What's your so, view? There used to be a time at Donald, and I, I remember going to America and um, sitting around the table with some very rich and powerful people, and, and they said, Tom, what you need to understand, when you make your fortune in America, then you do one of two things. You either buy a sports team or you get into politics. But I think there's a third thing now, because it's all about power, Willie, as you say, and um, Elon Musk for president gets my vote. Not that I can vote, but... Listen, Elon Musk is is one of my heroes. He's a true, true disruptor. You know, he's taken a state industry like the car industry and he's just started with a blank sheet of paper and said, no, that's what, what's gone before. This is how you're going to build a car. He's then taken on an even more difficult task of space rockets <laughs> and said, why do we need to scrap them every time they go up? Why can't we land them? You know, these are the questions. It's just brilliant. And he's he's doing space exploration at a fraction of the cost of NASA. And then he looks at the traffic problem in LA and he comes up with the Boring Company, which is a great name for a company. And he decides he's going to bore tunnels. And I, I just love that disruption. So why is he buying Twitter? And, you know, $44 billion for a company that's hardly made any profit, will he? Hardly made any profit and he is putting up he's on the line for 70% of the 44 billion so once again he's ripped up the rule book who else would come up and just say yeah I'll do it all um, let me buy it um, let me get at it so why is he doing it I don't think we'll ever know what's going on in Elon Musk's mind Willie I once sat beside him at a dinner actually 
in Scotland at Dumfries House. Um, they say you should never meet your heroes. He certainly didn't have much small chat that night. And he was definitely thinking about something else. Maybe it was space exploration, Willie. But um, I think watch this space. Why not? Elon Musk for president. Hey, listen. Could he my, do any worse? My my worry in all of this is he, he bites off more than he can chew. Uh, and like Tom, he, he's a genius. So when there was a problem with Tesla, he went in himself, slept in the factory, got right into the detail. When there was a problem with his um, SpaceX, he went straight in. And I just think when you add more and more big, big businesses that take up your time, then I think he has to, he's obviously dividing himself in two, then in three, then in four. I would just be concerned because he is certainly the driving force behind the other two main businesses. And I just wonder how many businesses that you, of that size ilk, that you can be the driving force. So I don't think he's doing it for the money, Willie. Yeah. Um, because it, it hardly makes any money. Yeah. But it's power. Yes, I can see that. But also someone told me that he believes that the Russians and the Saudi Arabians have been influencing mm. democracy in the West. Indeed. Um, certainly the Russians have, yeah. and he wants to put a stop to that. Yeah, I think there's, there's no doubt that uh, the, the the Saudis have came late to the game, but China and Russia have been affecting most of the big elections in the last 10 years and their influence will become more and more. So if what he's saying is truly what he believes in, the, the rationale behind Binance, I'm delighted. If it's to protect democracy throughout the world, then that would be a great thing for everyone. Last week we talked about accountability in business, particularly around Ferguson Marine. This week, of course, the ongoing scandal of the post offices with their computer systems and so many businesses affected and individuals. Quite harrowing tales, Willie. This is shocking. I don't think there's ever been an example ever, ever before where someone has to be held accountable. We cannot let this go. To watch the stories and listen to the stories this week on TV, 706 postmistresses, postmasters were accused, some convicted mostly, and some went to prison. I mean, the story of the 19-year-old girl going to a Young Offenders Institute for eight months, it's absolutely diabolical that the people in charge, and there is absolutely no doubt Apart from the problems with Fujitsu and what happened with the systems, the people in charge at the post office, there is absolutely no doubt, tried to cover this up, right? And they should not get away with it. So somebody, 100%, has to be accountable for this. Tom? I totally agree with Willie. I don't think there's been another scandal I can think of. I mean, some of the stories, people have committed suicide yeah. because they cared so much. They were been accused of stealing money, which they knew they weren't doing, Willie. And But what I can't understand, Willie, is they put in a new system, and we've all put in systems, and it's, it's a headache, it sure is. But surely somebody there, Willie, thought, well, they haven't all turned into thieves overnight. Surely there's something wrong. I mean, I mean, you know more about this than me. What what actually happened there? It's actually worse than that, Tom. You're right. I mean, an MP stood up in 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 the Commons and made the very point you're making. So overnight, with the believe that everyone has became a thief that works for the post office. It was you, you don't have to be a genius to work out there's something wrong, but when when you look at what was going on and and the the testimony of the engineers for Fujitsu in the Supreme Court saying, 
Oh yes, we could get into the systems and change the systems without the postmasters or mistresses knowing what we were doing. He says, and that was quite that was common knowledge. But the most the the, the most telling thing for me in this Tom was the post office. Paula Venels brought in an outside agency. Right to look at everything that was going on, so she set up an independent inquiry, mm-hmm. and there is absolutely no doubt that when they found the evidence that there was wrongdoing, that there was unfair convictions, right, unsafe convictions, I think they call it, that she called a halt to the investigation. Really? Yes. Called a halt. Stop giving them documentation. She was in front of the select committee. She was slaughtered. Right, but by the business secretary, quite rightly, and had nothing to say. They were all contradicting each other, and you could tell that they were covering up for us. So for me, that was the most damning part to bring in an outside agency, find that you're wrong, and then try and hide it was absolutely diabolical. And for me, anyway, she should be back in front of the select committee. Wow. I mean, I I think good for the media for sticking with this story and then highlighting it because I think. People just wanted to sweep us under the carpet and it should not be allowed to happen, Willie. There is no doubt this is the greatest miscarriage of justice ever in the history of the UK. Nothing comes near it. Wow. Pretty strong statement, Willie, but it has been down the investigation, I'll tell you how, to the mail, the likes of the mail, into this has been absolutely superb. Yeah, it's been fantastic. with it all the way for through. Years. For years, 16 years. Yeah, yep. wow. for years. And ditto, it goes back even to Hillsborough when people yes. are looking at it. They've stuck with it for years. But yep. isn't that a crying shame that we have... To, it takes years and years before it comes to surface and people are almost being held accountable. Shocking, shocking. And another thing, if some of the big um, legal firms didn't do um, pro bono and stuff, you know, on, on a result, we may get paid, they would never have got there. We could never have afforded to pay the legal fees. but And well done, well done to everyone in the legal profession who got behind these people and actually got to the truth. Absolutely. Indeed. Well, hopefully it'll be a bit more upbeat because we're now joined this morning by Stuart Patrick, Chief Executive of Glasgow's Chamber of Commerce, for his monthly review. Welcome, Stuart. Thanks very much, Donald. <clears throat> After such a chaotic phase in our lives, it should probably not be surprising that we are dealing with a jumble of consequences as we enter a new phase in our COVID-19 business experience, just two weeks after the last legal restrictions on mask wearing were lifted. The feedback from Chamber members is all about supply chain disruption, skill shortages, and of course, cost inflation, especially in shipping some raw materials and energy. And that was also the message from the most recent Scottish Chambers of Commerce quarterly member survey with the Fraser of Allender Institute. All sectors of the Scottish economy are reporting concerns about increasing inflation. The figures for profits, cash balances and investment are all negative in construction, retail and tourism. Stephen Leckie, the new president of the Scottish Chambers of Commerce, sent out a call to political parties campaigning for the local elections that now is not the time for new local taxes. Workforce parking levy and the transient visitor levy, better known as the tourism tax, are products of pre-pandemic, pre-inflationary times and would be better avoided. 
More welcome has been the Scottish Government's final conclusions from the National City Centre Task Force, which offers a realistic assessment of the challenges our city centres face and a healthy list of pragmatic proposals in response. Glasgow's own City Centre Task Force will soon receive just under £2 million, which will help tackle a long list of issues, including the persistent antisocial behaviour of some young people that Willie has been pointing out here in recent weeks. I took the opportunity to raise that problem with Deputy First Minister John Swinney at a recent meeting of the Glasgow Economic Leadership Board. The current data on the city centre recovery is very mixed. Credit card data shows that the hospitality sector is bouncing back much more strongly than retail. Weekday footfall is much slower to come back than for the weekend or the nighttime economy. Where Glasgow is really lagging is on the return to the workplace. Office occupancy survey results from Remit Consulting show Glasgow at only a 10% return against a national city average of 25%. The Scottish Government's own task force report acknowledges business concerns that the government's messaging on working from home is still an obstacle to a managed return to work. More positively, property investor Sovereign Centros submitted their planning application for their reimagination of the St Enoch Centre, bringing together refreshed shopping, more leisure and entertainment, along with a four-star hotel, new office space, city centre living, and a more traditional and more open city streetscape. It's a 15-20 to year programme and a clear vote of confidence in Glasgow's future. And we're paying close attention to development at Glasgow Airport. The Chamber stands firmly alongside the airport team supporting their rebuilding work and so it's great to see WestJet flights to Halifax and both WestJet and Air Transat flights to Toronto returning in May. Iceland Air has also restarted its Glasgow flights offering good onward connections to the US and the familiar and vital Emirates flights to Dubai are back to a daily service. Jet2 has strengthened its commitment to Glasgow by confirming it will base a seventh aircraft at the airport from 2023. TUI has consolidated its Scottish operation into Glasgow and it expanded its flying schedule for summer 22. Transavia, which is part of the Air France KLM group, has launched flights to Paris Orly and Corandon Airlines has launched flights to Antalya and Dalaman in Turkey. And on the subject of international travel, the Chamber is returning to genuine face-to-face -face trade mission work in May with a member visit to Norway. That is a follow-up to the inward mission we held at COP26. Finally, with the end of the March financial year, the Chamber team has been reflecting on the work it's developing the Young Workforce team has been doing to make sure young people were offered opportunities despite the pandemic. We started 564 young people in kickstart placements and helped 260 businesses get funding. Over three quarters of those completing their placements have had a positive outcome so far. Under the City Council step-up scheme, we started another 93 young people, almost all of whom have had really difficult starts to life, with over 70 having almost no work experience. We were very pleased to see the City Council reporting that this year's cohort of school leavers, the rate for securing positive destinations is now up over 96%, the best ever result for Glasgow and above the national average for the very first time. That the Chamber team is making its own contribution to that result is one of our proudest achievements. Well done. Lots of good stuff there, Stuart. One of the issues, though, was this... 10% versus 25% of the city average of people returning to the offices. How worried are you about that? And when do you see it actually changing? That is a worry. It's a significant worry, obviously, for the footfall in the city centre, which is still a good 500,000 
pairs of feet below what it, it should be. And we look at other cities. I mean, the average is 25%. Of course, London is actually doing uh, is doing better than that. It's surprising. But London's um, exceeding that now, nearing up to 35%. Leeds is up at 50%. So what is it about Glasgow that's keeping us so low uh, underneath uh, that average? Is it because of the government's messaging on working from home and the extent to which employers find it difficult to make the uh, argument with the staff that they should be coming back? Well, I, I think um, in my own case, sure, it's been like we only think the restrictions lifted last week, finally. So now for me, I'm having a, I, I don't even think actually I'm at 10%. Our office and our offer is working okay with people working from home or it'd be different. But I am sitting down next week with my team uh, and I want to get people back into the building. We've got a building that is anywhere between 600 and 900 people a day. We have not been at 10%, right? And I want to change that. So I think we'll, we're, the reason for it is we're lagging behind is because I think in Scotland we're lagging behind in relation to restrictions. I think now that they have gone, we can't blame anyone else now. And I think we should all have a concerted effort to get people back into work. We're not going to go back to the way we were, but if we can get everyone back, you know, and whatever, you know, two weeks on, two weeks off, whatever we, whatever we come up with, but certainly we need to get many more people back into the office. I do wonder, the battle between the CEO and the finance director over office use, um, finance directors will all be delighted to reduce their uh, office footprint. And we're certainly seeing that with lease breaks that yeah. companies are maybe cutting between about 10 or 25% of their office space. So finance directors are quite pleased. I wonder about chief executives thinking that their ability to hold their culture yeah. together as an organisation gets more and more difficult if they, don't, right. if they never see their staff no, that's a big uh, problem. in You're that right. office. You're right. That is a big problem. If you've got a business where culture's at the heart of what you do, then you're in trouble if you're working from home because you've got no culture. Yeah, we'll certainly come back to that issue. But coming up after the break, we'll be talking to Peter Duthie, Chief Executive of the SEC. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business digitise its documents. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as in the latest of our brilliant series in Great Scots, we tell the story of Sir Angus Grosser. Angus McFarlane MacLeod Grossert was born in Glasgow in April 1937 and brought up in Carluc in Lanarkshire. One of three brothers, his father was a tailor, but the Second World War and the austerity which followed decimated the family business, and Angus was forced to make his own way. He was educated at Glasgow Academy and honed his business skills in a Sunday market confectionery stall selling rejected toffee and sweets. Angus graduated from university with an arts degree, but later also qualified in accountancy and law. He was called to the Scottish Bar in 1963, and for the next few years he practised corporate law in Edinburgh. Although he enjoyed the bar, he began to find it a little cloistered, and in 1969 he left to establish the merchant bank Noble Grossert, with fellow Scot Sir Ian Noble. He later described the move as a substantial risk, but it was a risk that was to pay off. 
Since its inception, Noble Grossert Limited has earned increased profits in every successive year, providing corporate advice and investment banking support to companies throughout the UK. In 1972, Sir Ian Noble sold his interest in the bank, leaving Angus in full control. However, Angus's business interests have been more diverse than just investment banking. He has served as Vice Chairman of the Royal Bank of Scotland and as Director of Scottish and Newcastle, the Mirror Group, as well as for a range of financial, construction and property companies in the UK and beyond. His love of the arts has seen him serve as the Chairman of the National Galleries of Scotland, the Scottish Futures Trust, National Museums of Scotland, the Fine Arts Society and the Heritage Lottery Fund for Scotland. He was also a trustee of the National Heritage Memorial Fund and once served on the board of Scottish Opera. He was awarded a CBE in 1990 and seven years later, he received a knighthood. Now aged 84 and worth an estimated £325 million, it seems that Sir Angus has no plans to slow down. My plan is to die of exhaustion, he once said, not of boredom. A titan of the Scottish economy, Tom. Well, Angus is a good pal and he gave me probably the best piece of advice that um, I never paid for, which has always irked him, actually. And if he's listening to this, he'll be very irked. But when we were thinking of um, floating sports division, I went and asked his good counsel. I, I said, look, people are telling us there's a window of opportunity here. And he kind of looked at me in, in the way... And he's got a very kind of, he kind of whispers his advice and you've got to go closer to him just to make sure you don't miss anything. And he said, Tom, the window of opportunity, make sure you're not stuck halfway out of it. <laughs> oh, oh, great character. I've known Angus for many, many years. Not as well as Tom, him, but uh, I someone who has certainly helped you know, Scotland flourished over the last 40, 50 years. Again, we've mentioned so many great guys in the past, Peter Cummings, Willie Waugh, all the things that they've done. Angus is up there. Um, I'm just sorry that he didn't remain through here in the West. You know, that he, that he doesn't. most of his work was done with institutions in Edinburgh. But as Tom says, he's 84 and he's still as bright as a tack and, you know, you can have a conversation about anything. And also, it's mentioned in, in the segment, his his love of the arts and the, the amount of work that he put in there is, is absolutely amazing. I remember years ago when I helped... Um, purchased the, the Lowry painting of the docks of Glasgow to present it to Glasgow. He sent me a lovely letter. You know, I think then he was the president of the Arts Council saying, Willie, this is lovely, you know, fantastic, well done. So he doesn't miss a trick, but, um, oh yeah, you know, we need more characters like Angus Grosser. We certainly do. Indeed we do. We're now joined by Peter Duthie, Chief Executive of the SEC. Welcome to the show, Peter. Good morning, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, delighted to have you. Of course, the SEC is one of Scotland's Brilliant success stories with the Hydro, one of the world's leading live entertainments venue. You've been involved from the start. Tell us about that journey and your role within it. Well, I was very fortunate uh, to be involved right from before the SEC was originally constructed back in 1984. Um, I had a sports background and uh, the chief executive was just appointed for this new venture, the Scottish Exhibition Centre, as it was called at the time. And um, at the time, the NEC in Birmingham had just opened and they were staging indoor sports events. So I recognised there was an opportunity for indoor sport in Scotland of scale and wrote to the chief executive and suggested that. And he called me in for a meeting and, long story short, offered me a job and I've been there ever since. (laughs) 
So if you look back to the early days, did you ever imagine Glasgow would have such a world-class venue as the Hydro? No, you you couldn't have contemplated it at the time. This was all this was all new. There were no arenas around the world. We were staging uh, concerts in a temporary setup in an exhibition hall, as they did in the NEC, as they did in uh, in Earl's Court in London, but very few other places in the UK. Um, so to see it develop, the live entertainment business develop, artists who could sell that number of tickets, people's enjoyment of that experience to the extent where we could seriously look at building something like the Hydro is quite extraordinary. What is the, the difference between the tickets you can sell for the Hydros compared with the SEC of old? The, the SEC, we could get up close to 10,000 with a standing audience. Fully seated, it would be just about 8,500. But now with the Hydro, we're up to 14,500. Um, and indeed, Sam Fender, um, a couple of weeks ago, was the highest recorded audience of Sam a single Fender. artist to play in the Sam Hydro. Fender. Sam wow. Fender, yeah. Amazing. Peter, who, who, whose idea was the Hydro? Who, who actually come up with it? It was, a, it was a management group at the time. The chief executive at the time, Mike Clozier, uh, was keen on the idea. And uh, we discussed it uh, over a number of years, actually, because uh, there was pressure from artists who were looking for this increased capacity, uh, the promoters as well. We had availability issues because as the centre had become busier, um, the... The pressure on tenancy that had grown. We had exhibitions in the hall, we had conferences in the hall, and we had live entertainment in the hall. And we also had to build a seated environment. So we were effectively building seats, running a few shows, and then taking the seats back out. Right. So there was cost implications around that too. But particularly scheduling for promoters looking for availability in Glasgow, it was a real challenge. And the main final driver was one week we ended up, we had to turn down bookings for Stevie Wonder, Lady Gaga and Michael Bublé. <laughs> oh, my God. Because we couldn't fit them into their tour schedule. <laughs> wow. So at that point, we said, so we have to said, do something about enough. this. But it's still a big decision to make when you've got yeah. all the the SEC original buildings and, and just say, right, yes, we're going to build a 14,000 capacity over here. Absolutely. So, it, it, but, it took but about it, 10 years from first discussing the oh, project really? to actually getting the building open. And and what is this? Is the stat? Because I... I, I tell people when I'm on my travels, oh, it's the best venue in the world now, but is, is it is it number three? In terms of, in, in terms of capacity, there was, in 2019, which is the last full year before uh-huh. the pandemic, there was five venues in the world sold over a million tickets for live entertainment. Two in New York, one in Mexico City, one in London, and one in Glasgow. It's That's quite extraordinary when you look at the population bases of oh, those it's cities. Unbelievable. It's absolutely mad. So when you say ten years in the making, Pierre, go back when so when was the first year when it was an idea? A way back when? Probably about two thousand and three. Yeah. So. Just at the time when I was chairman of Scottish Enterprise Glasgow, and I remember it being muted. <laughs> Funny coincidence that, Willie. Yeah. Did you back yeah. it, Willie? Uh, no, to be fair, the guy's done a very good job. Glad- <laughs> yes, Scottish Enterprise Glasgow did, did back, back it. it. Yeah. Did back it at the time. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So yeah, and obviously. No one, as you said earlier, no one could have imagined, you know, that the impact it would have and the impact it would have in the local GDP. So I always say to people that if you're trying to put a case forward for a large infrastructure project, just focus on the last part of the M74, that 4.7 miles, and the hydro if you want any to convince anyone to give you funding to build something that's going to make a huge difference, they're two of the best success stories that Western Scotland's ever had. 
yeah, I think the acting as a catalyst just through the the number the footfall it brought with it, yeah. the regeneration of Finiston that came along it was wasn't a designed output from yes. from the project. Yeah. Um, because ultimately the business plan was based on 700,000 visitors a year to the hydro and we were doing over a million every year since uh, wow. before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but that footfall just drives people into the city, you know, and it fills the hotels, it fills the restaurants, they spend money in shops, they spend money in taxis. Yeah, the multiplier effect of that, Peter, is quite astounding. Yeah. And are you getting back to pre-pandemic levels Yes, we are. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, the last few weeks, the last couple of months have been incredibly busy since we've been able to reopen again. Um, we had a, a sort of temporary reopening before Christmas. Um, where fortunately we managed to get COP into into that window. Yep. Um, which was huge for us. Um, but uh, but now we're we're back up and and really busy. And the future calendar is really strong. Um, for all the events that rescheduled, um, into the future. Um, live entertainment, conferences, and, uh, and and some exhibitions too. Um, so all of those filling up the calendar for future years. Can I take you back to the pandemic? Because that must have been incredibly difficult. How did you and your team cope with that, the fact that no one wanted to perform worldwide? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was an extraordinary experience just to be told you're closing your doors and nobody knew for how long. I mean, I, I still remember a finance and development director, uh, Billy McFadgen, coming in and saying, right, well, here's a three-month plan, here's a six-month plan, and here's the nine-month plan. And Goodness. people were falling <laughs> off their chairs going, six, nine months, what are you no, talking about? No you know, There's no chance. We'll be back up way before that. But ultimately, those plans have kept on having to be extended even further. Um, so it was, it was a really challenging time. There was a huge amount of effort in terms of what can we do to address this to make the venue you know, workable in the COVID scenario. And clearly, you know, across the industry, it became quite clear that any restriction in numbers just made events non-viable. Um, if you're trying to do things with physical distancing, for example, it just didn't work. So it then became focusing on uh, what do we need to do here? And we were approached, obviously, as I'm sure you'll be aware, to host the, the medical facility, the NHS Louisa Jordan. Yeah. So we were more than happy to play our part in the, in the nation's recovery. Um, and get the team involved and engaged in that. So that helped us financially a little bit as well. We didn't make money out of it, but it helped cover our cost base for a little while and gave us a degree of certainty for planning because we knew it's going to be a hospital for this long and at least we could then do a degree of planning around that. But through the whole period, the level of uncertainty involved has been has been significant because we're never quite sure when you're going to reopen. So Peter, the, the people from the SEC led by yourself now have proved to people that, that you've got a good idea of you know looking into the future and what you want to do. I know you've got ambitious plans for what you'd like to do at the SEC. Would you like to share them with our listeners? Yes, what's next, Peter? What's next? Well, that was the question we get asked after the success of the Hydro. It was because <laughs> it was when the Hydro suddenly hit the world stage when people in LA and in New York were going, Glasgow, really? Glasgow, How yeah. did that happen? Um, so it made a statement on the world stage and the question was asked was what next mm -hmm. from politicians, from stakeholders and, and from our own team because we'd, one of the things we don't lack in the SEC is ambition within the team. Um, and the answer was conferences. Conferences, right. Because our conference facilities um, were had been hugely successful. Glasgow punches well above its weight in the conference sector and we've got a fantastic uh, award-winning uh, convention bureau as well that we work very closely with. But the opportunity to create a new facility that would enhance our capacity and enhance the scale of events we're able to attract to allow us to stage two events at once of scale and also 
just significantly bigger events um, was there if we built the facility to do it. Um, so we've got a plan to build effectively a new conference centre adjoining the existing facilities, extend our exhibition space, and that will allow us to create something that's more modern, better suited to the needs of the market that will be moving forward over the next 10 to 15 years and help us to maintain our place uh, and, and grow our place in what is increasing international competition. Because every major city around the, around the world now is pretty much looking at enhancing their conference offering because they understand the value it brings. Because I know when we're, when we're doing our big charity dues, um, when we bring people like President Obama across, etc., um, we always had to go to Edinburgh which Willie always used to shout at me about. But um, so there will now be a facility or are you still looking for the funding? <laughs> we're, we're still looking for the funding. It's, uh, it's been a few years that we've had this, uh, been pushing this concept. The challenge for the funding point of view is that the benefit flows to the local economy. It doesn't flow directly to the investor. Right. So as a business, this, this facility will require to be pretty much grant funded by my expectation is Scottish government and UK government yep. or a combination of both. Because the multiplier yeah, effects yeah. in the so On that, the Peter, it has been hinted at in the media over the last couple of months that you may be getting somewhere in relation to the large UK funding pot. Can you give an update Spill on that? Spill the beans, Peter, come on. <laughs> we, we've, we've been having engaged conversations with both UK government and Scottish government. Engaged um, conversations, well, yeah. I, I like that. That, that's no, that. that means there's no certainty involved in anything. <laughs> You're going to blank. We're, we're, still, we're still trying to get the, get across the line in terms yeah. of the argument because it's it, in essence it's quite a simple argument. Yeah. Yeah. This project will add something like £66 million a year uh, GVA to Scotland. Yep. Every pound of GVA delivers 38 pence in tax revenues for the government. Now that, with the current fiscal framework, that splits roughly 50-50 between the UK government and Scottish government. Yep. So this project will deliver you know, somewhere in the region of 25 million pounds a year in tax revenues once it's open. Split 50-50 between UK and Scottish government. So in Makes essence, sense does, will it? Right. a £200 million project, it'll pay for itself within 10 years. So you get a 10% return on your money. Yeah, and quite once, like you've, once, once you've got your money back, then it's profit. Exactly. Yeah, so it sounds like a really good investment. Mm. I, the word no-brainer has been used no -brainer. In, yeah. yes. in various yeah. conversations, yeah. but it's not a model, I think, that uh, politic, that's understood politically. Yeah. So, so there's challenges in trying to find, find the right model. Right. Well, well, we wish you all, all the best on that one, trying yeah. to get the, the funding from the government. But I'm, I mean, I just think it's amazing as you as you ream off. I, I take it it's Madison Square Garden in New York. Madison Square Garden and Radio City in, in, in New Radio York. Radio City and yeah. the in, O2 in London. Yeah. O2 in London, Mexico City, Mexico City, yeah. and Glasgow. Yeah, Isn't Glasgow. that brilliant, Willie? Yeah. Peter, for for the listeners, share with what's, what's the biggest diva demand you've ever had? Light <laughs> <laughs> lighten up the morning. <laughs> I wouldn't like to... Uh, you don't need to name anybody, just tell us a request. No, name, name somebody, come on. Name and, yeah, well, okay, well, there was uh, probably the biggest diva request, and I'll not name the artist, was that every toilet seat backstage had to be replaced before they were sat on. <laughs> <laughs> was that Kevin Bridges? <laughs> it certainly wasn't Kevin. Wow. And you, Kevin, Kevin is, as I'm sure you'll be aware, has a, you know, a whole series of shows with us later on this year, and yep. again has sold a phenomenal number of tickets over the yeah. years. I mean, Kevin, is, is he the biggest artist to sell tickets at the Hydro? Yes. Yeah. yeah. By yeah. far? Yeah. 
Yeah. He's he's ahead of everybody else. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's it's not so much a, a venue rental, it's more of a timeshare he's got with <laughs> <laughs> But but it just shows you Tom's making the point about, you know, fantastic, iconic Glasgow venue and it's a boy fee along the road right, that's got, that holds a record. Maybe probably just after Rod, you know, for, for filling the place. That's that's a story in itself. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And and do you think now obviously things are opening up, people are coming one of the big, big complaints that, that people have today is the cost of attending concerts now. I mean, it's it's going crazy. My big bugbear about concerts is having to pay 18 months and two years nearly up front before you get to the concert. <laughs> is there anything that MD can do about that? <laughs> that, that bit of a willy, unfortunately, is out with our control. Yeah. Um, the, the ticket prices are set by the artist in conjunction with, with the promoter. Yeah. Um, and I think... Uh, there was a major shift a number of years, many years ago, maybe about 12, 15 years ago now, where the where live music for artists started becoming their principal source of revenue. Yeah. As everything moved on to digital platforms um, and streaming moved in, artists' revenue from recorded music and their back catalogue, which used to fund their lifestyles, started diminishing. And they, they got back out on, on the road. And just market demand was there that uh, that drove the prices of tickets. That people wanted to see them, were prepared to pay those prices, and that's that's where it's ended up. Yeah. So Peter, when you're um, out and about, um, what what venue gives you inspiration for Glasgow, and what conference venue have you saw around the world that you said I want to bring that to Glasgow? If you look at in terms of conference venues around the world, you look at uh, Australia, for example, Melbourne, Sydney. Um, Vancouver, um, these places have all spent, you know, in Vancouver, they've just spent half a billion pounds upgrading the facility. Wow. In Australia, it's three quarters of a billion pounds recreating a, a new facility wow. on, the, on the waterfront. Wow. In the Middle East, clearly, there's a lot of expenditure there. Yeah. But venues throughout Europe are doing it as well. So, you know, it's it's a significant investment that's required here to create something that's world-class, that, that looks the part. And I believe we can do that in Glasgow. We've already got two signature buildings on the site with the Armadillo and the Hydro. It's a city centre location, effectively. We're on the riverfront. The transport connections are good. Um, and Glasgow has so much to offer, and Scotland has so much to offer as a country um, in terms of attracting conference delegates. Peter, I'd need to say, yeah, the transport links are good. <laughs> I would say one of the weaknesses of the SEC is the transport links. As long as you're not flying in, will you? Right. <laughs> Seriously, I think that's one thing that could certainly make the, the SEC better. I, I, I wouldn't disagree. There's, there are massive improvements that could be made. Yeah. Um, but in terms of some of these venues' locations, we're twenty. Yeah. It's a twenty-minute walk oh, from, yes. from the city centre. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. There are, you know, there's train links, there's, there's road links. Yeah. Um, the, the link from the airport clearly is, is a major issue for uh, for international visitors arriving, um, and would be massively helpful. And is there any room for private capital in this, Peter? Because we've got AEG who um, run the O2, I believe. Yeah. The entrepreneur behind that has made his fortune from these things, but there isn't any private capital in the Glasgow plan, is there? Uh, no, there isn't, no. Live entertainment is slightly different in the sense that it's a more commercial model. Right. Um, so when we built the Hydro, um, there was grant funding, as Willie alluded to, there's £25 million towards the project from Scottish Enterprise and £15 million from Glasgow City Council towards the project. Right. But it was a £120 million project. So uh, it offered up new opportunities for us through sponsorship. We couldn't previously have attracted sponsors and hospitality as well, the hospitality offering. So between those two items, 
they, they now bring in about six or seven million pounds a year. Wow. Additional, additional revenue to the business. In terms of the conference side, you don't get that additionality. So the business plan, which is reasonably conservative that we put together, will show our EBITDA improving by about a million, which means we could probably justify investing as a business 15 to 20 million pounds, for argument's sake, of the 200-odd million that we'd be required to deliver this. And Pierre, the, the ownership of the SEC, is it still part owned by the council, part owned by what, what is the ownership structure? Yeah, it's, we operate, we are a private limited company and we operate entirely that way, but our principal shareholder is Glasgow City Council who yeah. own 91% of the shares. Okay. Now that has evolved over time just yeah. through uh, through a number of circumstances. But yes, yeah. Yeah, I remember towards the end there you were, you know, trying to get the last pieces put together to complete, you know, the car park, everything to do with the, with the hydro, which I, I think you've done an amazing job actually getting it over the line. Hopefully that maybe when we've got some politicians on in the next few weeks that we can lobby for you that we think that the SEC improvement into a world-class conference centre would be a real good idea. That, that sounds that would... a no-brainer, Peter. Well, let's hope that goes successfully. But finally, Peter, what's been the best gig you've <laughs> ever attended and why? The best gig I've ever attended. Um, it's actually a, it should be a difficult question, but it's actually a reasonably straightforward one. It was a prince at the in the hydro. Wow! Um, we got a, our team got a call from Prince's agent, basically saying he wants to play four shows in the UK and he doesn't want to play London, and he <laughs> wants to do it in two months' time. And he said, "Well, we love one of those. Thanks very much." So, deal was done. Tickets put on sale, sold out in no time. And two weeks later, Prince took to the stage, and I wasn't at the time a particularly big Prince fan. Um, but I like to try and catch a bit of the legends when they're on stage yeah. in, in the hydro, as you'd expect. Yeah. Um, but I walked in and I, I watched Prince go on stage and I just couldn't take my eyes off. It was an extraordinary performance. Um, yeah. Absolutely fantastic. And he followed it up by a wee private gig in the garage an hour and a half later right, to a small audience. Yeah, yeah so good, good on Prince for adopting Glasgow as his second yeah. city. <laughs> <laughs> but the diversity of stuff that comes through the hydro is just phenomenal, you know. And yeah. it's, uh, the ability to attract, you know, all the top world stars is, has yeah. been has been huge for us. And I hope you continue to attract top stars in the many years ahead for the hydro and with your expansion plans. Brilliant, so, Peter. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. After the break, we go into the boardroom where Tom and Willie answer your questions and offer free business advice. If you want to take part, simply email your questions to go business at thisisgo.co.uk. And if you ever miss an episode of the show, search for The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with IT support, data security and more. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with free business advice, insight and inspiration. If you want your questions read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. So we start with an email from an older listener 
who asks, what do you think of the research that younger employees find a day's work more exhausting than their parents do? Oh. 46% of staff aged 18 to 25, that's the Generation Z, feel fatigued after a day at the office, factory or shop floor. <laughs> As do 40% of millennials, they're the ones between 26 and 41, compared to only 19% people between 58 and 76. This is a question for Willie, I think, um, Don. Oh, it's a bit harsh. It's that old mantra, you don't know what hard work is, son. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, I, well... I certainly, I've got a lot of young people working for me and I see an energy and a vibrancy about them where I don't see that. But I think things have changed. You know, working hours have changed. You know, back in the day when my dad worked, not to be like 45 hours a week and you'd be working on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night, you know, as standard for overtime. So I think that... Uh, the, the working hours and things that have changed now is a 37 and a half hour week. That, yes... I, and I, I've got to say this, I've got to say it, when we keep saying that our productivity, you know, we can't compete with the States and we can't compete with anywhere else, if people understood what people's working conditions are in the States, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, you, you can be with a company for 10 years over there and if you are, then you'll get two weeks holiday a year. Wow. Right, so uh, up until very recently, I think up until about 18 years ago, in some states in America, Saturday morning was still part of the working week. So when we talk about our productivity, I think that that's, you know, people have to look at how hard other people work throughout the world. But to, to answer this question, maybe they have got it a wee bit easier. Maybe they don't know, you know, like what hard work really is. But I, I, I've got to say, I see my young people buzzing. Tom, do you think they're simply lazy and being mollycoddled by society? <laughs> Don't put words in my mouth, Donald. <laughs> um, well, I think that's a really interesting question. I think we're definitely working differently, you know. Um, my generation, Willie's generation, you know, we were expected to work hard. Our parents had worked very hard, very long hours. But surely it's a sign of progression that people don't need to graft as much. They don't need to, um, the manual labour part of it. So working with your brain is better, perhaps. Um, and therefore, I don't think it's an apples and apples comparison here. And I think young people work differently to the way Willie and I used to graft. And um, I think that's a good thing, by and large. Yeah. I, I think also we need to factor in here it's kind of difficult to ask owners what they think about people's work ethic because as an owner, you've got to have a completely different work ethic. You know, you can throw your watch away and sometimes you're expecting people to do the same. And to be fair, these are the people that guys like me and Tom recognise. So the people that are going to work harder, uh, people who will all... You know, I've, I can name you 10 people in my business that I can phone anytime, do anything, and they'll just, they don't ask me, what is it? What do we need done? And these are the people who rise up the ranks in the business that are willing to work hard. So I would just say to any young people listening to this today is that, trust me on this, if you go beyond what you're expected to be doing, you will be recognised and that will help you big time in your career going forward. Well, our listener also asks, are businesses too quick to write off older employees? I hope not, um, because there's a wealth of experience there and good managers, good founders, good entrepreneurs should, should be able to recognise that and get people to play to their strengths, Donald. 
Um, there isn't one size fits all in any organisation. And sometimes having someone there who's been there, did it, done it, seen it, um, is a huge advantage. And sometimes to be bringing on younger people, sometimes if it's the right older person who can just take them under their wing, bring them on, be a bit of a mentor to them, that's a very valuable thing. And that that's something that can't be done over Zoom People have got to be in the office to get that experience, Donald. I think this is a really good question. And it's it's one that where I had a, a conversation with someone last week. What is old today? <laughs> right, who is Indeed. old today? You know, back in our day, like, you, know, you would talk, always that 65 pensioner thing. That's That's young today. I can say that from experience, that is young today. But I don't think we look at any, I certainly don't look at anyone in our organisation and look at their age, you know. Um, so I, I think that, no, I don't think that people are looking to treat the more mature colleagues any different or looking for where is their exit coming now. I think it's great now that, that people's choices about whether they want to work on or not determines. I think it's very, very difficult to try and work older people out of business today, which is a good thing. I think as well, Donald, one of the the things that has happened is that with different and changing social marketing influencers, then young people know more than their bosses about how to run that sort of business, yep. Willie. And again, that, that takes a certain type of boss to be able to go right you understand that better than me I'm going to cut you the latitude you educate me um, but that's exactly what happens um, in successful companies um, I, I look at what's happening at, at the Hut Group you know the, the use of influencers the average age in that business is 26 years old and it's absolutely you know driving that business forward yeah. Yeah, you need a blend now. If you're if you're a big business now and you're putting a kind of you know a workers cooperatives together, you need you need everyone from every era in there, and their input is invaluable. Indeed, but unfortunately, that's all we've time for. Don't forget, you can put your business questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk, and you can give us feedback or get involved by visiting thisisgo.co.uk. And if you ever miss an episode, simply search for The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcasts. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. A true managed service provider helping your business run effectively. 